Welcome to Following the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for The Leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 8, Entitled... In- Entitled? Entitled? Entitled International Assassin. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Wow. Uh, when I first watched this, I had no idea what to make of it. I can I can attest to that. You, I, you I really came out were... just... No idea. You, you really seemed like a man wrestling with uh, a lot of conflicting thoughts and feelings. I was. It was. I had a hard time kind of getting my arms and head around this episode. What was your deal? What was your? Because I, I mean, in contrast, I it just broke over me like a wave. Like I wasn't like I was like, what the fuck? What's going? I mean, but I clearly liked it. I liked being thrown off in the deep end, and I resolved to on my second watch write down every little ambiguous reference and something and run it to the ground and see if it meant anything. <laughs> uh huh. And it's kind of like I felt the same way when I first saw Inception. Like, this is pretty awesome. I think that there's something here to be discovered, and I'm going to discover it. And then the second watch, I was like, okay, this isn't nearly as mysterious and complex as I think it is. Yeah, I think I've that, got a good handle on it. That's the thing. My brain was – so my brain was wrestling with a couple of things. A, what the fuck is going on? Uh-huh. Uh, is this a real place? Is this in Kevin's head? And if so, how is – like, who's controlling it, Patty mm. or him? Uh, the other thing I was wrestling with was the kind of – ideas that patty is espousing here and whether or not those are actually things that kevin believes and i thought this was going to be more of a kevin episode and it ended up having a lot of patty in it like way more way more of patty's story than i expected like we end up by the end of it following the the same journey kevin takes right what the fuck to i need a mission i've got a mission to accomplish to i kind of feel bad about doing this but i got to so what do you think about the symmetry of episode 108, which was the one where Patty quotes poetry and stabs herself in the neck, saying that she needs Kevin to understand? Yeah. With the uh, 208 International Assassin being the episode where he finally Im- under- he finally understands and embraces, perhaps, her worldview and throws off i'm presuming we're not going to see patty again i can't imagine that we see her again like if she if we does i mean it i guess it wouldn't surprise well it would surprise me but also wouldn't like be a fatal thing like i i at this point if if she shows back up i assume there'll be a coherent plot driven he's killed her in every plane of existence i don't know how <laughs> he would possibly Has he killed her in limbo did he go I three think so. levels deep? I didn't I think see this was crumbling sandcastles and an old Asian man. Like I, <laughs> until I see that, that's forgotten his name. I, I, I yeah. won't think that that she's eradicated from all planes of existence. But I'm with you. I feel like that when he comes out as dirt, he's going to be patty free. But mm-hmm. would it surprise you if Kevin becomes a member of the Guilty Remnant? no not really or do you think that he'll be like the new testament version of the guilty remnant yeah so i could see him kind of going either way but the the feeling i got at the end of this was he he goes through with it and he kills patty and patty was kind of the part of him that that was the gr right that Mm. had the same thoughts as the gr like the world is ended uh what's the point of having these attachments if at any moment they could be Taken away from you. Yes. For no reason whatsoever. Uh, and that it, by the end of the episode, he has killed that part of him. And he should come out of this better and stronger and with more of a resolve to live his life in a way that is going to be good to his family, right? Mm. Like, maybe he can get over the stuff that's obviously been keeping him from his family. It's interesting because the man at the bridge 
who I think is worth to understand is the David from Australia who, yeah. you know, obviously uh, John C. Riley on the pillar sent a message to in the, the opening of the season who uh, emerged from a cave in Perth uh, claiming that he had died and come back to life and now he's unkillable. Uh, he says that doing this is going to change you. Yeah. I don't, I mean, do you, so you think Kevin's going to be happy? I, I guess that would be an honest well, change, but I it, mean, it certainly this guy's be, yeah. saying change is, is almost like a, a grim portent, but maybe changing from way Kevin is would be a, a change for the help to a healthy Kevin. Maybe. And it's also ominous that he has to kill this kid. And that's the thing that he says is going to, that's the thing that was going to change him. Right. But ultimately that's the thing. He's, like I felt like that, oh God, we're going to, I guess we're going to just get right into this. Well, I don't, um, don't want to totally get into it. Yet, okay. But, Cause I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of thoughts about damn near everything. And I have a lot of fluff to get through. And, well. and I also didn't, I feel like this is another one where I literally have been reading and, and working on my notes up until the point that we hit record yep. and yep. it's escaping from the studio uh, <laughs> much more than it's being released. So do you think you, – you said something intriguing a couple minutes ago, which is I picked a side. I'm assuming you're Before, picking a side as far as supernatural versus yep. uh, natural. Yep. <laughs> so uh, are, w- which side – I'm going to guess that you're choosing uh, rationality. Nope. Oh, shit. I'm firmly down on the supernatural side. Well, uh, Let, so wow. I, okay, so l- let's, let's put this in context a little. Okay. We know that there was a supernatural event. You have to label it supernatural – in the sudden departure, because yeah, just that literally means it's outside People how don't we just, understand the natural yeah world working. So the side I'm coming down on is the idea that there are more supernatural forces at play here than just this singular event, and that is the only supernatural thing that's going to happen in the show. Okay, I think this was some other plane of existence, and I have a lot of reasons for thinking that. Because okay. there's only one, honestly, when I when I thought about it, there's only one piece of evidence that I can't fully explain, and I kind of actually explain. Is it the bird? It's the bird. Yeah, but we know that 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 uh, old Virgil has a cage full of these birds right outside his home that Kevin could have seen and remarked on any one of is either when he was sleepwalking or when he came as a conscious man. And we know that Nora knows the definite like knows the the reason for the birds right but she would not have told kevin that probably not no well, i like, mean I, it would have to be between when he told her and when she left him that night and she left yeah and so I, I, I don't think they had a conversation about her problems yeah especially literally coming off of her shattering experience with erica across the 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 yard but so, it's, okay. it's more so it's more of like a, from an audience perspective i feel yeah. like that's what they're trying to say with this bird yeah like the idea that he would crush this bird in front of Kevin doesn't really mean anything to Kevin. It means something to us as an audience. Oh, he's crushing birds, and that's why these birds are coming. Like, every bird that doesn't make it out of here is a bird that's dead in the box when Regina King pulls it out. It's possible. Possible, yeah. That's that's the way I interpret it. Um, yeah. And I think and that, a lot of people You're do. right. The bird, its presence is explainable, but uh, Virgil killing it? Not not quite sure, especially, you know, his, his change of heart from I hope the bird lives to k- actively killing it. Yeah. Uh, and there's some other stuff like everybody having their, their own mission. We see a lot of people who are obviously on missions to do things. Right. Um, Mary, I, I you could potentially explain that away as Kevin sure. is concerned about Mary. Yeah. But no, that's, that's not proof either way. No. But this show doesn't deal in that. Can... Did you see the Lindelof, the statement that Lindelof released after this episode was I, th- I think so. What are you talking I, I wanna, about? I want to read uh, 
part part of it the because he he talks about kind of the philosophy of the show and then he has uh, a paragraph in conclusion he says it's not our place to explain ourselves or clarify this debate the show has to speak for itself on this front i make no apologies for this as tom the writers and i have always been upfront about the storytelling on the show being purposely ambiguous mm-hmm. the leftovers is not about answers it's about the frustration of not getting them and the emotional state that drives our characters too like throwing rocks through the windows of people we feel sympathy for, or drinking poison. All that said, our intention here is simple, to try to do something different and unexpected and, above all, emotional. I, again, I, I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, especially since he is trying to induce a feeling amongst his viewers that is a echo of the feelings that his characters are uh, possessing. And, and, you know, to the extent that you can use music... And shot selection <laughs> and acting. Mm-hmm. I don't know why introducing a meta mystery that always has people grasping for answers and you get some, but you never get out. I feel like that's fair play. It is. I mean, everybody after the sudden departure is asking why and what. Yeah. You know, what happened? Why did it happen? How did it happen? All those questions are going through your head. And that's the same with the audience. Uh, for the record, and, um, you know, I guess this will become clear throughout the episode. I still believe that this is um, an explainable drug reaction or near-death experience, etc. All right. So, then we're, we're firmly on opposite sides yes, now at this uh, point. Yes, we have flipped. You are now the man of faith. I'm the man of reason. <laughs> man of science, yeah. Interesting. I've always been more comfortable with Locke than, than Jack, so this is, this is weird. <laughs> this is weird. I feel like we should get up and switch sides of the table. So I, I have a note written down. Okay. When I was trying to figure out how I felt about this episode— I, I wrote down what my experience as a, as a viewer was the first time through. And I wrote like a pro and con list. On the pro side, funny, exciting, emotionally powerful. I think all three of those things are true. Uh, Surprisingly funny in an episode where a man murders a, a child. Yeah. yeah. Up until that point, it's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, and in the, the con category, all I have is confusing. And I don't think that weighs the same as those other three really great things. Um yeah, I so agree. ultimately, I really like this. Now, I'm not ready to stamp this best episode of television ever, like a lot of people are. Well, I think this is one of these episodes that's going to either going to look better or worse in hindsight. And you know, I was listening to you. You were watching some of 108 in the background while I was compiling my notes, and you know, some of the stuff that uh, Patty said right before it dies. Like, I actually think that is, in hindsight, stronger. I was thought that it was strong material to begin with, but. I feel like this episode is one of those things where you're right, it's confusing, there's a lot of stuff up in the air, and I would be shocked if in the next two episodes do not tie some of this stuff together enough that's going to be, you know, again, not complete answers, but will feel satisfying in a season arc and and the mileage we've covered. Um, but on the yeah. other hand, you know, it's always on the table. If If, if it doesn't, <laughs> then this episode could feel like a stunt in retrospect. So here's the thing that I want to happen and that I will feel somewhat satisfied by. If Kevin just asks Michael, what the fuck? Right? Like, they have that's a conversation. All, that's about, all I really want. I, I, yeah, I need Michael to come clean with what was going Like, why was he having a kind of argument with his grandfather yeah. before Kevin showed up the final time? You knew about this. What did he say to you about it? Yes. And also, is Virgil really dead? Yeah. And also, yeah. <laughs> what is going to be the official police reaction to all these weird things going on? Because this is some fucked up, you know, both Kevin and Michael have a lot of explaining to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> to their families, to the authorities, to John. Yeah, especially. Yeah, Kevin's got some explaining to do. Not going to be happy about that. This. Yeah. Um, and also, he's going to wake up to presumably John. Uh, I mean, unless that fingerprint scanning went nowhere. Yeah, I can't imagine it didn't. Yeah. Go anywhere. All right, so I'm just going to talk about this, and it's going to be fairly in chronological order because this is the rare leftovers episode that has a single narrative thread, a single point of view that goes throughout. Um, and I don't really want to miss anything. Well, you start off before anything, and you've got the brief nudity warning. And I'm like, whose dick are they going to show this week? <laughs> no dick. No dick. Just ass. No dick. Lots of ass. And, and, ass. and Justin Thoreau is, uh, he is chiseled. Sure. Yeah, he's man in great is, shape. Is, is, every time he's, he's, he's shown naked, he is uh, in full flex. <laughs> he's swole. Yeah, he probably is. Jacked, he, maybe, is better term. He's a jacked, jacked man. Right. Yeah, no, I, I imagine he worked out just before that shot. Sure. Maybe may, maybe uh, fasted for a day or two. All right, yeah. Got his uh, water weight down. Uh-huh. Uh, but he wakes up from his tub. Wait, uh, wait, there's something you failed to mention. What? This week, no cold open. Oh, see? So they, how they pulled the old me. switcheroo. So I, uh, I understand. When I, just when I tapped out in submission to yep. Lindelof, he's like, oh, yeah? yeah and I, I totally get why they did that. It's like... You really want to know what happens to Kevin, don't you? Sure, there at no time. Here's you... here's the only episode we're not going to show you a cold open for. And this does this episode does move forward like a freight train. It does. Like yeah. it just keeps building and building and building until he gets this enormous emotional payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, our, immediately we're introduced to the concept of the electronic screeching coming from the television. There's this very cryptic note that says, "Know first who you are, and then adorn yourself accordingly." Um, and he opens the wardrobe, and there is a, a cop uniform, specifically a Mapleton cop uniform. Essentially, mm-hmm. his sheriff or not sheriff, his police chief's uniform. There is a white T-shirt with matching white pants, which is the uniform of the guilty remnant. There's a priest with a, a rainbow alpha and omega frock on it, and then there's a very stylish suit, which Kevin ultimately picks. As soon as he does, and he gets dressed, there's a knock on the door. There's a flower delivery for a Mr. Harvey, uh, which I guess is his alias in this uh, plane of existence. And the guy bringing him the, the flowers instantly engages him in a knife fight. I already have like eight things I want to talk about. <laughs> uh, okay, because I'm about to – because then uh, the music starts up, and I want to talk about the music for oh, a bit. Yeah. Do, you wanna, do, you, do you want me to talk about that, or do you want get, to sure. get your stuff in? So, no, let's do music. Um. So this is from a piece called Nabucco, which is actually short for it's Ital- it's like an Italian nickname for Nebuchadnezzar, which okay. that should have your uh, fire alarm bells going off already because we've talked about a lot of Nebuchadnezzar and, and the Babylonian themes and J- Jewish exile and and the mm-hmm. fact that uh, you know the the river Euphrates was drained and that's what directly led to the invasion of Babylon, uh, but it's an Italian language opera. And four acts composed in 1841 by uh, Verdi. And it follows the, this is all from Wikipedia. It follows the plight of the Jews as they're assaulted, conquered, and subsequently exiled from their homeland by the Babylonian king uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Historical events are used as a background for the romantic and political plot. The best known number from the opera is the chorus of the Hebrew slaves, which is what blares every single time Kevin does something dramatic in this episode. Okay. I thought that because I thought that was just really incredible music. The fact that it actually ties into the Babylon plot, yeah, holy shit, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. Uh, then that's all I've got for that. Um, yeah, I just like the way it punctuated the scenes. You, you'd see something terrible. It 
it really made it feel honestly like a Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Joint. And I don't know if that's because of 2001 or or what or The Shining maybe. Did The Shining do that? Uh but that I don't know, it just had that feel to it. Yeah, I thought it I feel like it's one of those things where the show walks so many tightropes and this could be so over the top and parody. Just the fact that there's no score at all and then out of nowhere this thing just so I I really liked it, and the fact that it's it, it's a thematic tie-in is all the better. Yeah, and I read that the guy who wrote it was like wrestling with depression That's of, of other, his daughter dying, the, is the that death right? of his daughter and wife. Like and he, wife, he wrote yeah. this thing in the in the throes of the deep depression. Yeah, so really Which, fitting. Yeah, like this thing fits this thing like a puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. You said you had eight other things. Do you want to talk about the clothes? Do we want to get into any clothes theories this early on, or we can? Okay. Because I have a pretty hot theory. So a couple of those are things that you might relate to Kevin's life, like the Mapleton PD uniform. (laughs) Seems pretty spot on. Uh, Maybe the GR uniform as well. You you never really see him in, like, suits that much. I don't know. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy. Mm -mm. But then I I don't know where this priest thing is Do you think it's a connection he has with Matt? That's what I was wondering. Like, that's, that's, like, Matt, I'm thinking that these are all walks of life. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, or all kind of modes you can be in, like the mat mode where you're just selfless and you're fully inhabiting Job and the suffering and your lot in life is to suffer and to somehow experience redemption through that suffering. Whereas Mapleton Cop era is when he was looking for bagels and wondering why dogs were biting him and deer were were fucking up his kitchen and Mm -hmm. he ineffectually fought and failed and and lost a battle to the guilty remnant. Yeah. So you and got then those... you, later on, you see the guy who chose a police uniform, whoever that is, if it's Kevin, if it's Kevin Sr., whatever. Well, I, one theory that I really liked, I saw this on Reddit, was someone postulated that that was actually Kevin meeting the Kevin who, who dra- tried to drown himself. Like, that was an unsuccessful dress rehearsal for the mission. Okay. And obviously he had been captured and found out and was let off, probably to be executed by... In, in a hood or something i really i, I really like that that that's that's tight because so does that we see like we see the other costumes there are guilty remnant people dressed up in guilty remnant clothes smoking outside the hotel of course that's also the security Gladys, detail for yeah. patty mm-hmm. um we saw the priest weeping in the elevator yep uh which i don't really have a handle on so here's the here's the reason why i'm not so sure that that's kevin under that hood and and I think, I think they put that hood on so just so we wouldn't know, not because. But like, the, yeah, a, the other costumes we saw the faces. There wasn't yes, any, so and wh- they weren't Kevin. So yes. I'm. That's I'm, why I think it is Kevin. Huh. Okay. Because else, why wouldn't they show? If it wasn't Kevin, why wouldn't see the face? We see all kinds of people in all kinds of missions. We always see their face. This is the one. I meant. Hmm, I meant to go back and look at this, and I didn't. But. When does that happen in relation to when Kevin speaks to Kevin Sr.? So he is... Is, that, is the hood before or after he talks to his dad? It's after. Because I'm wondering if that's maybe not... Because they talk about, like, we're in the same room. Wait, I know he second. says he's in Perth, but the it's a weird comment that they're in the same room. Yeah. Like, I, I'm wondering if they're actually in the same hotel here. And, like... Okay, Perth so no, that, where... I'm sorry. That's the hood scene comes before he meets with his father. Okay, 
So, I, I don't so, think... so hooded Kevin in air quotes is coming out the uh, the tunnel that they're leading him to the interrogation as international assassin Kevin is going there. Yeah. The scene as soon as he's released, then his father breaks through with the smoke signals and communicates to him. Okay. So does that change your theory? Yeah. Yeah. I was I was headed toward Kevin Garvey Senior is under that hood because he is also a Mapleton. PD exactly. chief in a former life. So he may have chosen that uniform and, you know, the comment about him being in the same room. Yeah. Maybe he did his poison, his equivalent of poison in Perth and ended up here mm-hmm. in this hotel. I don't know. Uh, they might might still be playing with time there. Sure. I'm not sure, but who knows? All right. Well, my like I said, my vote is for the that was Kevin on his uh, cinder block suicide attempt. So we, as he was walking down the stairs to the lobby because he wants to find out about these flowers, and he leaves the the dead body of a assassin in his room. Uh, there's a little girl he sees standing out beside the pool. There's a bird flying in the lobby that everyone's uh, a Twitter about. Virgil is the concierge, and all of the deliveries go through him. So he goes and talks to him, and Virgil pretends not to know who he is, but then writes on hotel stationery that I'll meet you in the garage in five minutes. And he also expresses hope that they don't catch the bird. Now, the hotel stationery, the hotel is not named, but it has a symbol of a triangle with a line drawn through it. And then it says resort and hotel, I think. Hmm. Okay. That symbol is the alchemical symbol for air. We see the other three elements hmm. very prominently in this episode. Water, you know, everyone's, he wakes up in a bath of water. Everyone says, don't drink the water. Fire, his father's trying to communicate to him using this fire that he's building in his room. The bridge to uh, uh, the, the miracle, the Jarden, dream, dream Jarden is covered in fire. And he emerges triumphant at the end from literally the earth. And, you know, alchemy was the ancient practice of transforming one element into another, which is kind of ties into the theme of the man on the bridge saying, if you do this, it will change you. Hmm. So I was like, okay. Is I, I just thought, I mean, I don't think there might be anything other than this than just a nod to that this is this alchemical process that's happening. And air is also the other element that we don't really explicitly see. Yeah, I mean, air is... I mean, it's in every scene, obviously, but... I guess air is associated with the sky and the heavens, maybe? Like, that's, uh, that's, how far do you want to take be, that? could be, if you, you want to go to literal purgatory, you know, that like this is a realm between heaven and earth... Which would be air. <laughs> I think there's some, some, some ostensible evidence here. Yeah, some stuff you can argue either way yeah. uh, about this being some kind of purgatory or limbo or proving ground for heaven, whatever it is. Uh, I don't know if it's you know Christian based or not, but uh, so he, uh, Kevin. Then, do you uh, want to talk more about the elements? Because I there's a lot of stuff about like fire and water and go for it. All kinds of stuff in here. So. I found it particularly interesting in this that they are talking about th- this water. You know, everybody's like, don't drink the water. Patty says, I never drink. I never touch this stuff. Uh, Virgil's warning him the whole time, and Virgil eventually drinks it and forgets who he is, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, except not quite. I mean, but mostly. He's he's there enough to say, I was really thirsty in that kind of way that lets Kevin know that was a bad thing that I did. Mm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's like a little kid excuse. Why did you eat the cookie that I told you not to eat? I was I was hungry. Sure. Um, also, I felt that's thematic for him being bad at dealing with temptation. Like, maybe that's what got him into trouble in the first place. Okay. 
You know, like, or it could be he was really fucking dead when he came here. <laughs> like, uh, Kevin was poisoned. His brains were blown out on the wall. Maybe he was real thirsty hmm. because this is kind of like, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. Like they're they're walking toward the light, sort of thing. Yeah, and you know, well, so there's also Virgil's people really that, on his way out. People that want to die, or uh, so. That, did you read anything into the uh, Lethe, the River Lethe? Uh, that's one of the four rivers, five uh, rivers of five rivers. Okay. In in Hades. Yeah. Uh, and it was the final river that the dead, uh, required to drink from. Um, and so this is off. If you search for it's L E T H E on Wikipedia, it'll tell you about this, but, um, in, in the poem, uh, so Virgil writes in, in, in his poems that when the dead have, finally drank from this river it erases all their memories of their previous life and then Mm -hmm. they're eligible for reincarnation so the two people that are very resistant to drinking water kevin and patty patty does not want to die she's afraid to move on kevin obviously wants to live and he does live virgil says he needs to atone and he's ready to die he got his he beat his adversary he served his purpose so he drank the water Mm-hmm. so that he can die and move on to the next plane or be reincarnated or whatever. I can buy that. That seems to line up with what I was thinking. Dear God, do you think that Mary's baby is going to be Virgil reincarnated? <laughs> uh, reincarnation doesn't apply would immaculate conception. Would it be weird if like the Leftovers became this multi-generational show? Where like next season it's twenty years it later would be and very, you've got very weird. You've got young Virgil in a. <laughs> presumably little white protestant man's body you know body uh-huh. that, that would be michael's turned into john yeah he's he's been hardened against this again yeah uh so there are other water was that link ladder right? movie that came out boy's life or something yeah it, it's essentially it'd be the <laughs> t- television equivalent of that show i like it uh it would give him somewhere to go in season three mm. uh so there are a lot of other water connections right like so the water in jarden was being sold as this miracle water um, the water disappeared when Kevin tried to kill himself the first time. Uh, there, there's a lot of allusions to, you know, him coming back up out of the ground to like the, these holes in the ground from the earthquakes, uh-huh. things like that. Um, but the thing that really struck me is this idea of Axis, Axis Mundi and the way that kind of the opening of that first episode mm-hmm. connected in a lot of different ways with the fire, with the cave, with the water, Sure. All kind of connected to this episode and Axis Mundi being this connection point. Like that well is roughly in the place that the exactly. lady died in the prehistoric times. It's roughly the place that the Lexus, wait, no, the Mercedes, Mercedes was parked yeah. where the three girls disappeared. Uh-huh. And it's where the orphan's well was located. Exactly. That's so significant. So if you're talking about a connection between heaven, the, the realm of the living and the realm of spirits, I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh it's interesting that drinking of that water would be the thing that kind of, I guess, keeps you in the spirit realm. Hmm. Yeah. And and it's what the is that? No return. Like I'm not totally sure what it says about the water having disappeared from Jarden. Well, and also, miracle. isn't it odd that not drinking? I mean, because that's the other thing is like if you want to take this as just a literal uh, uh, hallucination that a man is experiencing on the threshold of biological death. Uh-huh. Don't drink the water is something that's officially like, you know, that's what the park department says. It's forbidden for people to drink the water and et cetera. So it could be Kevin putting all this stuff in his brain in a yeah. stew and, and coming. It could mean nothing at all. For sure. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, th- I think that's totally interesting. Uh, it seems like they've walked that line once again where I'm... They keep walking the I've, line. I've made up my mind, like, how I feel about it uh-huh. um, at this point because of certain things that maybe are intentional and maybe are not. Okay. I, I mean, the bird... So like, when you say is, made up your mind, if you were presented... If you were presented proof that this actually was all rational based, would you feel cheated? Nah. Okay. Because here's my thing is, I feel like these episodes, some of them put thumbs on one side of the scales or the other. Like, yeah. last episode... I thought when Lori came in and said, this is a classic paranoid delusion that uh-huh. can be medically treated, and these are all the symptoms, and this is why Patty behaved this way. I actually thought that was a pretty heavy thumb on rational. And this episode felt like it was a very heavy thumb on the supernatural. And they kind of – they don't walk a line so much as they kind of stagger with the mean being – you row right on that line. They go, oh, right. Matt's seeing yeah. red lights and pigeons, and he's betting big. And we're and watching him walk it, and we're going, oh, he's falling over to yeah. the left. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, he recovered. Yeah. So I just, when you said you're convinced, I just want to know, like, how convinced you were. Well, the other thing about the bird is it, it doesn't just end at, like, this is a weird thing to have in Kevin's dream if he didn't know about it or, or if it's not a supernatural plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Erica and her story about the bird, and us seeing this bird still being alive after three days, to me says that's where the bird was. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you can get, how you can say, well, it can't survive underground for three days, yet this one did, and then not say that there is something, like, be presented with this other reality, potential reality, and not make that connection. Okay. Do you think that Kevin was actually buried for three days and three nights? That's a good question. Uh, I want to say yes. So here, so evidence for is that's uh, Jesus did spent parts of three days uh, buried before he, you know, they rolled the stone away and he was gone. Um, also, right. there's at one point the security detail when they're frisking Kevin says make like Jesus, and assume and yeah. What else would this cut on his hand be? This miraculously it's healed. The healed. It's, although that's contra to the Bible, where when Christ reappeared, at least to Thomas, he actually had all of his wounds intact. I think, yeah. Um, wasn't it just to just to Thomas, though? Like, mm, wasn't he the only one that saw that? The doubt, yeah, the doubter, sure. Um, yeah, did, none of the other disciples freaked out about, oh my God, it's zombie Christ. He's cooking fish for us on the beach. It's uh, time to freak out now. So, yeah. yeah, it might have been just for, for him. Um, Evidence against is that Michael is wearing the exact same outfit that he drugged Kevin out in the trailer. Oh, implying really? that that is the okay. Like I, he might have not even spent like like Michael might have buried him, took a piss in the woods, came back to settle in and watch this plot. And oh shit, here's this guy popped out of the ground. All right, so can we say for sure? Because if he's buried for if three he's days, under three days, yeah. He's dead. Have you seen Serpent in the Rainbow? Because no. I mentioned that last podcast, and I'm like, man, I I'm getting haven't. such a Serpent in the Rainbow feel from this guy drinking this stuff and you know settling in for a uh, weird post-apocalyptic dream warrior situation. This is a man who's studying about the 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 actual real zombies, the voodoo-based zombies, and that they, uh, you know, he finds that they 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 derive this poison from I think the pufferfish, and okay. they ingest them, and it, it essentially. And some of this is based on reality. Some of it is folklore, and a lot of it's just a mix of the two. But the way these zombies work is they give them this drug, and they bury them, and then they dig them up at some point in the future. And I can't remember if it's a day or a couple days. And this person's brain has been so scrambled that they are left as, like, easily 
uh, open the suggestions. And there's a lot of debate about mm-hmm. whether this is a pharmaco- pharmacological effect or if this is – in this culture, when this happens to you by this voodoo priest, you have to act in this way, and the, the people just kind of go along with it in the like same hypnotism. way. Hypnotism, exactly. Yeah. The same way the hypnotism works. Mm-hmm. And I got that. Like I thought that from last episode, but then when he pops out of the fucking ground, I'm like, oh my god, this is this is really giving me. <laughs> but you could now. This is in a coffin, of course. If if your breathing is slowed down to very shallow respirations, your heart beats down to a, you know a few dozen beats. Perhaps you could survive for a period of time. Outside of a coffin? In but, pure dirt? Yes. If it turns out that he's been in there for three nights, then I'm very on board with this being entirely a supernatural thing. Okay. Fine. If he's there for just one just one night, yeah. I may be okay with saying, you know, it could still be all in his head. Yeah. Okay. Did you have other things that we want to talk about? Uh, what about the fire? I mean, we're still on the, the... Well, we haven't got to the fire yet. We just had... The, okay, there, I, I, I was going to continue f- with the elements, but... yeah. Okay, yeah, go ahead if you want to do that. So you were talking about water. No, we can wait. Okay. Let's, let's wait. Uh, so Kevin sees the girl drowning in the pool, and we're hit with the chorus of the Hebrew slaves, pow, right in her face. Jumps in and saves her, and, like, there's this amazing shot of this Steadicam guy just jumping in the pool right after Kevin, and this is... A surprisingly yeah. badass and dynamic show. Like, I was thinking mm-hmm. it reminded me a lot of, like, the way they filmed the action sequence of Kevin saving Jill from the fire last year. Like, when they want to get, like, kind of heroic, they do it. Yeah. Uh, he performs CPR, and she comes to just in time for her father to come down. You know, what did I tell you? You don't know how to swim. And, like, blah, blah, blah. You're fucking worthless. And Kevin's like, hey, ease up. And he's like, mind your fucking business. <laughs> and we come to appreciate yeah. that this is Neil. So, yeah, I have a question about Neil. Ask away. Is Neil meant to represent both her father and her husband in this episode? Yes, because you know that's the okay. sad. You know, that's the sad truth is that people that are that are grow up in an environment where they're not their basic needs as humans are not being met. Like you know, Patty says they have trouble forming attachments and they mm-hmm. have problems having healthy relationships, and they often find fall prey to people that grew up in that same environment and learn how to abuse and they follow yeah. that pattern. So it yes, feels I comfortable think comfortable in a strange way. I think it yeah. works both for, for both that she is essentially, he's the same type of shit bag that raised her. And then, yeah. uh, you know, was very cruel to her in her adult life. And I also like the fact that they play around with the Patty. The Senator is her, her body double. Uh-huh. Because like like that like the badass Patty and the guilty remnant is kind of facade that she has constructed for herself, but she's still really this wounded, scared little child. Yeah, and I the symbology of that really really worked. It makes you know they keep making finding ways to redeem characters. In my eyes like I really came away feeling very sorry for Patty. Yeah, sure. Like man, all this happened to you, and then you you joined or led a cult. Just to escape the pain of your existence, and then yeah, killed yourself. No, it's it's a rough road for Patty through yeah. her, her entire life, and you know even afterward. <laughs> uh, so Kevin goes to the garage where he meets Virgil in the white Mercedes that the the three girls disappeared in in the beginning of the season. Yep, and uh, he says, "Don't don't ever drink the water." You're obviously an international assassin because look at you. You're dressed like James Bond. You got those fucking cool boots on. And I love Kevin's response. He's like, are you fucking serious? Like, there's just <laughs> there's a lot of, like, almost Kevin as the audience here in the niche before he decides to completely buy in. Yeah. 
But he points out, it's like, look, you got to stop thinking in these straight rational lines. We're we're dream warriors, bitch. This is Freddy Krueger style <laughs> stuff. You gotta you gotta get all corkscrew and spiral with it. He says that Patty's your target. She's running a campaign for president. You're posing as Kevin Harvey, which is kind of funny. And you've donated fifty thousand dollars, which turns out is the exact same amount that Patty needed to escape from Neil. What's the significance yeah. of that? That Kevin. Dream Kevin willingly gave her the tools she needed to escape. Bef- and, and huh. Hadn't thought about it. But that that's an interesting point. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of things with this lie detector that kind of ties in with this I want to talk about in a bit. So here's the thing. I read an interview yep. with Ann Dowd um, that kind yeah, of discussed saw- like their relationship, right, between Kevin and Patty um, and what went down in 108, season mm-hmm. one, episode eight, mm-hmm. um, when she killed herself. And and there was, there was a connection there. And she talked about like, I I had this connection to Kevin because I showed him all my colors, like even the dark ones. Um, and so when she died, that connection in my mind is something that lingered, you know, spiritually, supernaturally, whatever. Um, so I wonder if that's the thing. The, the the $50,000 is saying is that he is kind of the key to unlocking her potential to get into heaven, to be forgiven. Because hmm. cause eventually, like, the thing that sticks with me is that she chose not to leave Neil. And that's pretty fucked up. That's In fact, she couldn't voluntarily even leave this whatever existence she had. Kevin had to take her take her out of it. Yeah. And so if if giving her the keys to, you know, get away from Neil is also an analogy for killing her, huh. then I think maybe that's part of it. All like right. m- maybe maybe each of them had to get their own... I don't know. He killed a lot of patties in this episode, <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> he killed all the patties. He did. And I think Patty's finally dead once and for all, and that Kevin could be the only person to do that. Okay. Uh, so Virgil continues to explain that you're going to have a meet and greet with uh, Senator Levin... And they're going to search you for weapons, but they're going to have this godfather, literal godfather situation where you ask to pee, you go get the thing t- taped to the back of the tank, and you go out blasting. Yeah. It's a literally godfather. Mm-hmm. Um, someone wrote in early this morning saying if I'd noticed that they actually played some of the themes from the godfather during the scene, I'm like, get the fuck get the fuck out. And I asked for like some, some confirmation, and, I, and I, I watched the scene again, and I didn't get it, but hmm. maybe there's something really subtle thematically there. I, I didn't hear it. So I would have instantly recognized the Godfather theme yeah, proper, and the, but... the 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 per- yeah exactly. But the person uh, didn't have time to get back to me, so we'll see. Uh, anyway, he says he stresses. Don't drink the water. You can't ha- hesitate. And Kevin wants to know how are you here, and he says I'm I'm busy atoning. So, you know, a lot of people are seeing this as evidence that this is for fact. You know real life supernatural dream warrior stuff whereas i don't think it's surprising that kevin would see virgil as a guide yeah he just told him he was going to be his guide yeah he does, before that doesn't he died mean that or... he has special knowledge that, that virgil's dead sure um i mean it is that's the other thing about the show is like all these things in isolation are coincidence but when you start piling them all together it's like man how many times can you roll how many times can you flip a coin and it and it lands heads? Theoretically, infinitely. Sure, yeah. But plausibly, not that many times. Mm-hmm. So we already talked about the river, Lethe. Um, there is a bunch of white suburbans pull up, and it's Patty's security detail. 
And as he says, for God's sake, do not let these people see you, we see Gladys instantly lock eyes with Kevin. Yeah. Now... I mean, you didn't really give him a chance, Virgil. Come on. Yeah, he parked I, right next to this thing. Yeah, and I'm not sure what to make of that. Like, there, there is a lot of evidence that Kevin succeeded despite everything set in his way, and maybe that he'd only succeed in his mission at this way. But there's also a lot to suggest that maybe he failed his mission at several points. Hmm. Like, if it's cr- critical that these people not see you, well, they got he got seen. If it's critical that you uh, kill Patty... I guess he did that, but he didn't. He didn't kill the real Patty. Yeah, like, it took him a few tries. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Or Virgil could have been psyching him out. Sure, like don't let him see you. When in fact, the thing that they needed to do was see. No, him. it's like some Yoda shit. Like yeah. don't take any weapons in there. But really, that didn't really do anything. <laughs> sure, uh, it's like it this was a test. But you might have passed. You might have failed. Who cares? You're still going to get Return of the Jedi. <laughs> um, so he goes back to his room to get kind of cleaned up because he's wet. And he now he finally for the first time looks at the card which says get well soon which I thought was clever how it paid off his father didn't I send you a sign that says get to the well nope. um, it's blank inside I thought when I freeze framed this that the cartoon man's it's kind of like a Ziggy type feature or Iggy was it Iggy or Ziggy it's Ziggy um, it looks a lot like Kevin's dad oh does it in caricature yeah huh. I didn't notice. And he's tossing in a gold coin into this well that looks exactly like the orphan's well that we'll see later on in the episode. All right. Uh, there's a fire alarm, which uh, asshole Neil ignores. And Kevin says, well, what if it's a false alarm? He goes, well, I guess we'll fucking burn. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> on I guess we'll fucking burn or the fire alarm itself? Is Neil, so we say he's Patty's husband and father is he also a stand-in for the enemies of the guilty remnant that are basically not wanting to give any thought to what hmm. this all means and it's just like he's kind of like the same guy who's Lori's, um i guess what do you call that landlord mm-hmm. who just feels like he's the same person that the, the the october 14th did nothing to them either way like i'm seeing all these signs yeah, i'm gonna maybe. ignore it and if i burn i burn if i live i live maybe i don't know uh, there's a Spanish nurse, so Kevin goes outside in the plaza, and there's a bunch of people doing a bunch of random stuff. There's one in particular that drew a lot of attention, this this nurse that's speaking Spanish. She's trying to get into the hospital with a red cooler. Would you like to hear a translation of what uh, she was saying? I've read one, but our listeners probably would. Okay. Um, so she's saying something that's indistinct about a human heart, which is not surprising, and we only hear one side of the conversation. She says, second thing she says is, how are you going to do that? The third one is indistinct because she's being spoken over. The set, thir- fourth thing she said is, don't tell me what you're doing. And then she says, uh, que esta haciendo, which a lot of people, I guess, thought that she was talking about the demon uh, Azrael. Uh, uh-huh. And that just means, uh, uh, you know, what's up or what are you doing? So that that's, has nothing to do with Azrael. <laughs> And then she also shouts to the person who's dressed as a doctor, I'm not a doctor. Uh, That was the first scene in the parking garage. Okay. The second scene, which is we're just referring to, is she says, this is a human heart. Please let me in. I need to be inside. It's urgent that I'm in there. Please hear me out. I have to go now. If you don't let me in, uh, someone someone is going to die. They don't, they, they, they cover someone up. Do you think, so a, 
a supernatural explanation is that this is true, literally purgatory. Yeah. And there are very many people trying to do very many missions. And, she's trying to atone for maybe not getting hard. To and and, and her, doc- her doctor is the Virgil that she's meeting in the parking garage, just like Kevin is meeting his Virgil in the parking garage. Sure. And she's having struggles trying to get this thing done. If it's not, I'm not aware of any significance to a human heart or anything. That that's the thing. I have no idea why they would show us that but, if not for if not meant to convey that other people are uh, on their own missions within yeah. this world. But but on the other hand, as imagery goes, dream imagery, hearts and whatnot could you know could be love and the fact that Kevin doesn't feel love anymore or who knows. Like dream logic yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I've woken from many dream. Like what the fuck? Sure. Uh, so. After we got done with the translation business, uh, a man comes up to him with balloons and asks him if he's Mary Jameson. And he says, no. And he walks off. He's got these balloons that read, congrats. It reads, it's a boy, which I thought was kind of mind-blowing. All right. I got it. And he then goes to um, give these balloons to a person that looks exactly like Mary that's down the hall in the hotel. Yeah. A couple things to talk about here. Mm-hmm. What if Kevin said he is Mary Jameson? What would that have done to the... To, would he to, get the balloons? Yeah, like, I just wondered, like, what... Like, that's a weird binary choice that the dream bellhop just straight up asked, are you this person? Kind of similar to the assassin guys. Like, are you Kevin Harvey? Like, what if he had said, yes, I am? Yeah, I mean, I took I took it as a joke. Hmm. Like, are you Mary Jameson? You obviously aren't Mary Jameson. It's a weird, so fuck off. weird just joke in an episode is layered with things that yeah. everything seems to mean something. Um, but he needed to get so, – so I don't know. I don't know why they're showing us Mary here. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really have a lot to do with Kevin. Like it's so tangential to Kevin. That he's on her – she's on her, his mind because she's been living with him. Like Matt fostered this kind of quote-unquote burden. Oh, this I know. This is an episode about burdens. I, I'm just not sure why he – why we would see that in this episode if if it wasn't Do you think it would serious. make sense that he would put her in this context of purgatory that she's literally caught between living and death? Yeah, sure. That could totally make sense. Do you think that these... Uh, she could also literally be caught there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think that these... like uh, I saw someone speculate that he thought that these were like symbolic of Matt's prayers. They're trying to reach her or attempts to communicate hmm. to her that she's okay. getting them, but she can't respond to them. Maybe she's just collecting a hotel full of them. Also, uh, in the episode last season, the Garvey's at their best. Remember when the woman hit the deer that led to him having sex with her? The deer had a mylar balloon caught in its antlers. That's right. That said, it's a girl in exactly the same font, only pink instead of blue, as it's a boy. (laughs) What the fuck? I don't know. Now, that heralded a baby girl that, that appeared at his doorstep. I mean... Sure, It'd be pretty easy to see that maybe we're going to end the season with a with Mary giving birth to a boy, presumably. What the fuck does that mean? Hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing... So, if you're going to, like, this is a shared realm of existence, yep. and you want to go that direction... It's the social space of heaven and hell. What does that say about Mary? Does that say that Mary is caught in a limbo and that she has been here since her accident... Or does that say that Mary has died under the care of Nora? That maybe, perhaps, Mary is dead between the time that Kevin leaves? And... I, I, I think if, if, if it's a plane of existence, it most closely matches to purgatory. So this is truly a world where people are caught in between. Okay. They're not 
<laughs> it's like Miracle Max and the Princess Bride. They're not. They're mostly dead. Mm-hmm. They're not all the way dead, but they're yeah. mostly dead. <laughs> and I don't see anything that. Although no, because Gladys is dead. Dead. Gladys is totally dead. And Kevin's Patty, father, totally as far as dead. we know, is alive. Alive. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's a little problem with with making it that black and white. I think so. I think the unless Kevin's dad has died as well, done mm-hmm. done his. You I know, mean that's that's snakes, on the table. Snake's tongue bullshit and has had this exact same experience as kevin that's that's definitely on the table uh so then another uh, a bunch of gunmen show up these are wearing all white and they're obviously patty's uh thugs mm-hmm. and gladys introduces herself they they drag him down to this uh, uh i don't know it looks like the kitchen boiler room something and they interrogate him with this machine as a red light bulb that lights up when he's lying yeah and she explains we're vetting people making sure that you belong here she asks him his name he Busts out the Harvey lie and which, gets Windexed right to the eye, which I found hilarious. <laughs> uh huh. But also thematically, the idea of using Windex on someone's eyeballs is mm. very like you know like uh, uh, Saul on the road to Damascus. He said uh, when he's for, when he when he let Christ in his heart, the scales fell from his eyes. So it's like trying to clean something to get clear vision. Yeah, and when you've also got him hooked up to a lie detector, which I would have found laughable if this weren't a dream world of sure. sorts. Uh, it's not how lie detectors work, but... Arguably that they do it all. Sure. Uh, but yeah, when you have it also connected to that, it's it's very much apparent that they're they're showing him how he really feels about the situation. And that's the thing. And it's surprising him. Even if it's process. just his subconscious, you, I, don't, I, I think they're portraying these are legit truths. I, and yes. he says... I don't want anyone to know who I am. That was a true statement. Mm-hmm. He really wants to be in the same room as Patty. Uh-huh. That's a true statement. Now, is that true? Is that the Kevin really likes having Patty around, even though she's driving him crazy, that she's some kind of, I mean, well, the, when you pair, that, that he deserves her? Or does he just want to be in the room because he wants to kill her? Uh, well, you could also potentially say that he, he does agree with her. and Because that's another lie that... We find out is why do you smoke? Truth. It's not because you're addicted to nicotine. It's because I smoke to remember the, that the world ended, which, which is exactly the same reason that Patty smokes. Which may be the reason he wants to be in a room with her because they are like minded uh, in that. But he's in denial about it. Yeah, certainly. Which is why he's got this duality. Mm-hmm. Which that's and thing, why that's Patty's very, been haunting him. Like, which that's that's a lot of grim. That's a lot of grim statements. Like either he's purged the Patty out of himself, or he's fully embraced that aspect of his uh, personality, which. Is going to be bad news for Jill. Going to be bad news for Lily. Going to be bad news for Nora. Yeah. Now, did we say that Patty only started showing up when he got to Miracle, right? Well, no, because she also appeared to him before the last season was over in a vision. Did she? Shit, yeah. I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah. And there was heavily implied that that he was seeing him uh she was she was seeing him in other places. That was why he was so distracted and why he okay. didn't and why he's blaring music in his ears all the time. So yeah. It also he lies when he says he's not thirsty. And if you take a less than literal meaning on thirsty, um Thirsty means for, wanting to death. The per, perhaps, to yeah, wanting to die, wanting to or, you know, wanting to get over the thing that he's that mm-hmm. is bugging him. Yeah. Um that could be an interesting lie as well. Yep. 
Uh, so they uncuff him and let him go, and he goes back to his room to wash out the fucking Windex in his eye. <laughs> and the TV starts screeching again, and this time his dad breaks through, which was yeah. another hilarious scene. Uh, that he's just berating these assistants behind him and telling him to stoke that he set his bed on fire, it looks like. And he's literally in the same room as Kevin. Like, the rooms look identical. And he points that fact out, and he's got war paint on. He's got, uh-huh. <laughs> he's, he's in Perth, Australia. He's tripping balls on something called God's Tongue, which I did research into, and the only reference I could ever see to God's Tongue was in reference to people speaking in tongues. Hmm. Okay. Well, speaking in tongues, if you don't know, that was, uh, you know, a lot of fundamentalist Christians say they manifest that ability, and they just they stand up and they roll their eyes in the back of their head, and they dance around, and they babble. I've seen this in person sure. when I knocked on people's doors. Every once in a while, <laughs> every once in a while, I get a Pentecostal or a Church of God, and they would start that shit, and it was really creepy. Uh-huh. Uh, but in, back in the day, in biblical terms, it was a it was a gift of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus died, he bestowed upon his apostles and disciples so they could instantly and fluently speak in any language like a universal communicator. Sure. So that they could, you know, start this, this small Jewish sect could then take over the world. Um, any thoughts on that? Speaking in tongues. I mean, it's just... Uh, not so much, kind no. Kind of grist for the religion mill. I, I have many thoughts on this scene. That was not one of them. Okay. I didn't know anything about God's tongue. Um, so he says, did you get my card? And Kevin said, yeah, the card was blank. And he's like, what? It didn't say get to the well. And he says that you got to take Patty. You don't want to shoot Patty. You want to take her to the well. Yep. So we realize in this scene, this fire that is lit in his room, in Kevin Sr.'s room, is the fire that's setting off the smoke alarms, the fire alarms in Kevin's hotel. Uh-huh. Which is why the thing that makes me wonder if, in fact, he isn't in the same plane of existence and in the same hotel. Hmm. How would there's a lot be to in that plane that. of existence? He's on God's tongue. He's done the same thing that Kevin has done at the same time. So this poison? Yeah. And, and they're perhaps, actually having authentic communication? And perhaps, perhaps this David Burton guy in Australia yeah. is part of that journey as well. Kevin Sr.'s journey. Here's my problem. is like I don't feel like – because if, if Kevin calls his dad immediately long distance in Australia and say, did you appear to me in a dream when I got buried last night? I wouldn't surprise me for his dad if he's just crazy to say, of course I did. Finally, you're listening to me because that's what a crazy person would do. <laughs> you're right. You're right. That's not going to prove anything one way or another. If he calls his dad and just has a normal conversation, that's the way to confirm it. You call your dad and just have your normal confirmation and say, did you have any weird dreams or anything last night? And see what he says. But if you feed him a line, that's cold cold reading 101. But, I mean, he could still come back with, uh, yeah, there was some crazy shit going on last night. Well, I mean, if he says, And even then, he might still just be crazy. Sure. Yeah, that's that's even the, if it's very specific. I don't know. It must know. have been a long time setting up the premise for the show because wow, it's really imagine. solid. It's really solid. So the other thing I'm thinking when I see fire mm-hmm. is I'm thinking uh, the op- not the opposite, but kind of the antithesis of water in a lot of ways, um, and and this idea of like killing Patty in the water, um, the water being the thing that that grounds you to whatever plane of existence this is, where you can't mm-hmm. go back to the realm of the living. Yeah. I also wonder if that's not a message about, like, the mental state of Kevin, where the the fire that he's experiencing in these places is, like, his connection to people and family and 
like kind of a more a figurative sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know because because it only appears like this fire is caused by and appears with his dad. Yeah. Now, I mean that's the thing that's getting me to think, especially with all the talk that Anne Dowd does later on. Sure. That maybe it has something to do with the connection between them. You know, according to my notes. I was wrong. I led you astray that Kevin walks past the uniform, the maple tree. Oh, my God. After this scene. I don't know how I uh. I got confused on that. But, yeah, he actually walks on the way to going to Patty's hotel suite. So your, your, okay. your theory might be right back on. Man, I really think that's Kevin Sr. under the hood. Okay. Um, yeah, and it would be like maybe he just got caught. He's the one. Because yeah. do we get a fire alarm past this? I don't think we get another fire alarm throughout the, after, after this episode. No, we don't. So it could be the, ho- the, the security found him and caught him. Yep. And lead them out. Ah. Uh, what if we find dra- out that he's dead next episode? Is that confirmation? Well, no, of course not. But, boy, wow, it, it's a cool idea. Like, he was on his own mission and he got caught and... I mean, it's one of those things where it's a coin- I mean, it could just be a coincidence. Coincidence happen. Do a hundred coincidences Absolutely. happen in the yeah. space of three episodes? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, another th- that's another question. Sure. Uh, so anyway, the security officer, as we said, says, make like Jesus. And uh, he... Gets- oh, oh, oh. The other thing about fire. Oh. Is, is going back to Access Mon- Monday, Monday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a fire in that cave. And that's the thing that's kind of keeping everybody warm uh. and together. And then when that cave collapses, that shuts down the fucking fire. Sure. And like, so I, there's something about that fire that to me symbolizes connection to people. Okay. Uh, so he gets patted down and the, the security detail guy congratulates him. Now, some people, I think they were joking because we talked about, uh, you know, Justin Thoreau's package. Mm-hmm. The guy was frisking at knee level. If he's There's feeling, no if he's feeling his job, like, then that's that's actually a curse. That's no longer a blessing. Yeah, yeah. You got if you got an if you got a, a half yard inch, long dick. Yeah, that is that. I can't imagine that would be an enjoyable thing. You know, yeah, it's no longer useful. It's yeah, it's it's like a it's like a roofing hammer that's twenty feet long. Like it's way too much for what you're trying to do with it. There's not sure. a fucking roof in the world that needs a 20-foot, 100-pound hammer, <laughs> as every woman would probably scream uh, at the top of her lungs. It's, you just don't need a hammer that big. God yeah, damn. it's too much, Justin. Too, too much. much. Just, just settle down, Dream Justin. <laughs> we get it. You're blessed. But, you know, uh, I think it's he's congratulating him that you passed the security test. I think so, but it also works as a funny joke because it is how many funny. people were talking about Justin's jogging package in the sure. first season. sure. Maybe yeah. him and John Hamm can have a support group. There you go. Uh, so he says uh, he asked. He also asked what happened to your hand, and he said, "Did you put Neosporin on it?" And he says he's all clear and harmless. Now this is a call, possible callback to in the first season when he got bit by the dog. Amy, the troubled girl that was living with him and Jill, asked him, mm-hmm. "Did you put Neosporin on?" Had it? sex on him, sex with him on a pile of guns. <laughs> oh, no, that never happened. That's what she said happened. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So that could just be him making this mental callback to last season. Okay. Cool. Uh, there's questions about. He, uh, th- so so Gladys comes in at this point and says, "Hopes the interrogation could all be water under the bridge," which is kind of maybe a Jarden reference. Uh, I actually I think we might actually have a first honest to god spoiler section. Oh. At the okay. End of this, at the end of this podcast, we've never. I don't think we've ever done one on the leftovers before. No. The way no that reason. works is. 
Uh, some people have speculated based on preview and promotional material that now kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I know a lot of people studiously avoid watching the next next episode on, and I'm, I just kind of want to put this uh, on spoiler apps. But okay. there's a little bit more about that if you're if you're adventurous. Uh, he walks in. He has to use the bathroom. Oh yeah, there's n- no questions about Neil gun control abortion in North Korea. I don't think there's anything to that. She says you get one attempted to photo. It's, uh, we will not take another one, so don't blink. Is that a? I feel like that's another. Don't clear, blink, Kevin. Maybe that's a, that's either. Yeah, don't shy away from what you have to do, or yeah. another clear-eyed reference. Keep your eyes open. Okay. Uh, he asks to use the bathroom. She says sure. He walks in on Wayne sitting on the shitter, which is the last time that Kevin <laughs> saw Wayne. Holy Wayne! <laughs> this was perfect. No, I and loved I, it. And and he's like, "Do I know you?" It's like I thought I recognized you. And Wayne superchart also. Wayne's guzzling the water. Oh he's yeah, guzzling it down. He's all in. Um, and he, Kevin asked if he can use the bathroom now that 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 Wayne's not holding court in there. But Patty's there, and it's too late. And they offer her water, and she says, "I never touched the stuff." She says that someone's trying to f- assassinate you. And there's a lot of mess about why people assassinate people that I was not able to verify. Okay, yeah, but I I took it at face value. Sure. Given the way this episode's... Although, it's tough to take anything at face value given what Virgil says about her thinking in helixes and hexagons and roller coaster loops. Like, Right. I, But I did. All right. So, yeah, it's like it's as dream logic, whatever. It doesn't need to make, make literal sense. But she says, the reason assassins, they're not motivated by money or revenge, beliefs enrage them, especially beliefs that they share but are secretly horrified by. Yep. And he says that she wants to destroy families. And she says, you're right. That's it. And she talks about how she once had to kiss a baby at a political rally. And the guy just ran off and left, which Holy Wayne is sitting right there. Uh-huh. And she says this baby's going to grow up, have a difficulty attaching to people, uh, giving, accepting love. But that's no longer a problem. It's a strength because in, you know, October 14th, attachment and love were extinct. Mm-hmm. What do you think about? Uh, I personally don't agree with anything that Patty says in that section. Well, let me ask you this. No, though. okay. So oh, here's here's the thing, though. I thought it was this again. This is interesting—a science fiction concept. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, what if every year a departure happened, where some random—it's always two percent, two percent of world's population disappear. Okay. After a few generations of that happen. Would you start seeing that as like the way a production facility sees a 2% product loss? That's just shrinkage. Sure. I would it really, maybe it would lead to these connections slowly being severed because it's so arbitrary and capricious. I thought it was a really interesting concept in a sci-fi. Yeah, it's not something I want to live my life based on. But for a science fiction work, I thought that was... Just as interesting and thought-provoking as, like, Larry Niven's, hey, this world uh, never has darkness except for once every thousand years because it has ten suns or whatever. Uh-huh. I thought it was really cool. What what were you going to say? Yeah, no, I mean, that I could see that happening, you know, in that world that you described. The, the thing is, that I don't agree with is necessarily that we're not living under that condition already. I mean, I know many people who've had their loved ones taken from them way before they ever expected it. Sure. Just completely out of nowhere. So, like, we do kind of live under that condition already, and people don't sever all ties. Uh, Now, if it were more pronounced, if it was Mm -hmm. like you said, every year, somebody 2% disappearing, I think that changes it significantly. 
Right. But there is the possibility to lose everyone you love every single day of your life. It is. It's a possibility, and it's also um, – it's always – you. it seems like the more understandable something is, the easier it is to put in context and move – it's like the things that really shake you are – It's true, yeah. Loss, especially like when like, uh, you know – your your son or daughter goes missing and you don't find the body. Are they yeah, alive? Yeah. Are they dead? Are they in some yeah. kind of crazy Elizabeth Smart nightmare where they're being, you know, tormented by someone that's keeping them captive? Like you don't know, and that's the worst part. Yeah. And like so this is like something that happened at the same time that to and, and then everyone's been touched by it. And also there's that ambiguity, it's like a perfect storm. So I, I do feel true. like yeah. it's a little different than you're saying no, You're that, right. Yeah, you I could go home and Cecily's dead in a car wreck or Sure, any you of know. us could. You know, it's not it's not it's not hundred percent guaranteed that we're gonna have these people with us. But you're right, it, it is a lot more pronounced here. Yeah. In the world of the leftovers. Uh, she also mentions that we our cave collapsed and we can dig through the rubble or we can transform. Another obvious reference to the beginning of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she he also mentions because uh, she starts taking digs on Kevin about his how painful it must have been when his wife left him for the guilty remedy. He goes well, no more painful than when Chess shit and Neil left you. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of funny scene where she tells Wayne to shoot the motherfucker in the face, and Wayne <laughs> just about does before Patty says it's all a joke. Yeah, uh, and she doesn't she doesn't address this fact. She just makes a bunch of jokes and says fuck Neil, and then let's get on this photo op, which I thought was pretty telling of her not being able to move on. Yeah. Yeah, she she's doing the same thing that Kevin was doing, burying his feelings about the way he felt about the sudden departure. So long story short, Kevin at this point says, I want to go to the bathroom, gets a gun, assembles it, comes out, blows Wayne and Gladys away. It's just him and Patty, who she says, I'm a body double. They found me on Facebook. I'm just Ronda Gennaro from Massachusetts. Switches into a great Massachusetts accent. I guess. And he blows her away. I guess you didn't think it was good. I I don't know because I when I watched it the second time I wasn't even sure she shifted into an accent. Really? Yeah. No, she totally did. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, American Horror good. Story has completely <laughs> inured me to weird accents. I just, I can't even anymore. All right. Uh, so he goes down to and he, you clearly expect him to he. The expectation on him is like, I'm going to dissolve in the white light now. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And he's still here. And he goes down to Virgil kind of like in disbelief and mad about why am I still here? Why isn't this over? And Virgil doesn't – he he is not feigning ignorance. He doesn't know who Kevin he's is. He drank the water. He drank the water. And before when he said, I hope they don't catch the bird, this time he murders it with a book. Yeah. Uh, and the bird's the same as Erica, and he says, why did you drink the water? I was so thirsty. We talked about a lot of that stuff. So question for you. What Were you keeping track of the time in this episode, and what did you think when he shot Patty? Did you think that this was over? Because I did. I assumed, okay, Patty is doing this Helix thing, and she's not actually a body double. That's Patty. He's killed her. Done. No, I did not keep track of the episode, and I had no idea since the time, and I also was not... Uh, the first time I thought the episode was over is when he climbed out of the dirt. Like, that's the first time yeah. I thought, oh, okay, the episode's done. Okay. I wasn't keeping track either. Okay. I think that's the way to watch this show. That's why I'm, that's, it's nice because we do The Walking Dead first. I come home and it's like 1130-ish. I start watching sometime. I don't pay attention. And, like, you know, it's real easy to lose. You look down and it says, oh, you know, yeah. 1237. Well, shit, when what I start watching this, I have no idea. I need to I need to get black tape in his tape over to 
the the DVR clock. I swear to God, I do. Good idea. Um, anyway, we see uh, Kevin gets on the elevator, go back to his room. There's a priest weeping there. Kevin realizes his hand is healed. I have yeah. no idea the significance of either of those things. I mean, is the priest weeping because connection? That's that's the priest. That's the Matt Jameson version of Kevin who would do Matt Jameson things, and he's weeping because Kevin killed Patty. Oh, see, I assume the priest was on his own mission, uh, and that he had failed in whatever mission okay. he was set to do. That's probably a better take. Uh, what, what about Kevin's hand With the hand healing, healing, I think... I I don't know. He may very Neil well Spores be a Jesus-type character here. Yeah. Like, if you if you want to go, like, resurrection from the dead, and wounds in your hands, and... I don't know. I'm wondering if Kevin can die at this point. <laughs> well, we already have a David Burton that is claiming to have the same experience. So it's true. I'm, it's it's interesting. Uh, so he goes up to uh, he goes up to his room, finds out that his lock's been changed. Neil's sitting outside. He's been locked out to offers him a drink of Ezra Brooks, which is I've come to appreciate like the top shelf of cheap. Uh, bourbons. Is that what we need to switch to here in the studio? I want to try it because it's also because Jim Beam's been the official fountain well, uh, the, or the well uh, bourbon of Bald Move for some time now. Yeah. So I I looked into Ezra Brooks because you know Ezra is a biblical name. Mm-hmm. Ezra is the name of the scribe that went back with the Jews to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which I think is interesting. Also, Ezra Book Brooks was launched when it got so Jack. Jack Daniels was became very popular post war brand of of bourbon or whiskey, and they were had supply problems in the 1957. Some investor saw this, made a square bottle with a black label with the same font and kind of the same lettering, and used a lot of the same slogans and a lot of the same marketing to get on and just used a no name distillery and repackaged their product to fool people into thinking it was Jack Daniels. Hmm. And tried okay. to muscle into Jack Daniels market when they're having supply problems. Jack Daniels actually tried to sue them because there were so many similarities between what they're doing, and it didn't work. And we still have Ezra Brooks today. Were they trying to sue, or were they trying to fool the people who were like blind drunk, like couldn't really see the label? Uh, no, it's or just like, like... The, if you look at the '50s stuff, like yeah. there was a lot of the same. They talked about like. Say Jack Daniels uh, thing mm-hmm. is uh, charcoal aged for seven years. Uh, that's exactly the same thing would be on the Ezra Brooks late, uh, bottle as well. Yeah, I'm just thinking I go in, I see Ezra Brooks. I'm like, that's obviously not Jack Daniels. <laughs> well, you need to the be... The letters are different. You need to be drinking more. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like, if I was really drunk, maybe. And that's the other thing is, like, if it's a new brand and, uh, like, you're having supply problems and I don't know. So anyway, there's the two things there that, you know, is Neil and an, uh, a fake thing passing himself off as a genuine thing or is he just... A, fi- a lover of inexpensive bourbon. I'm going to go with the latter. I actually think it's the Ezra, the Jewish scribe who went back to teach the really newly repatriated Jews the the law and all that stuff. I, okay. I, 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 li- I like that. But he admires Kevin's international assassin lifestyle. He got to travel the world killing folks, got no yeah. wife, no kids, no responsibility. You know, me, I'm stuck in this hotel. Half the people run around doing crazy stuff. Half the people don't know who they are, and I can't find a damn person to shit on me. Uh, <laughs> he also said you should have let that fat cunt drown in re- reference to his own daughter slash wife, and Kevin punches him out. Yeah, so he realizes who's he, who he's talking to Yep. when he's, he's 
Talking about shitting on him. Yeah, I've refer- referred to this guy as Neil the whole time, but this is when Kevin puts together. As soon as he does yeah. so, Patty steps out, little Patty, and she's got this sign uh, pinned to her chest that says, I should keep my mouth shut. And it's very, this is where the episode gets really sad. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you start really feeling for Patty, the little girl. Uh-huh. Uh, he leads her by the hand, and this is all this imagery. is so It's just too much. And he goes down and talks to not Virgil anymore. And he says, we're looking for this well. And he says, are you sure it's not the caverns? And he goes through, you know, like the concierge has all those like local brochures of local attractions. And there's this orphan's well. And we, we freeze-framed on this to look and see if there's anything. It looked like it was just pretty standard tourist stuff. I thought, like, I saw Lost Pines, and I kind of perked up, but that's a real-life attraction in Texas. Okay. So, like, State Forest or something. Uh, so he gets the information for the the well and starts to drive there. Uh, little Patty says, he's going to throw me in the well, you know. And Virgil's <laughs> like, well, I hope you brought your swimsuit, little lady. Yeah. I guess he just doesn't take the little girl seriously, or he's dead. People dead don't give a care. shit about the living. All right, you can sort your own shit out. I've I've, I've atoned, man. <laughs> so she's reading to him information about this well that was built by indigenous people. Um, we talked about the conduits, and he says, you know, she says, "Am I talking too much?" Because Kevin is increasingly getting disturbed about his mission. Says, "My daddy says I do." He pushed me down the stairs once. I broke two of my grown-up teeth. She continues to read that people have made pilgrimages for many, many years to throw their burdens down the well when they don't want them anymore. Yep. Uh, they return to Jarden because this is where the, the well is at, and it looks like a hellhole. And he tries to cross his bridge, which is full of burning barrels, and this, this Australian with a noose smashes his window and accosts him and says he builds a noose and ties it to the edge of the bridge and says you can either jump off this or you can take her to the well. And he asks her a bunch of questions like, is she resisting? And he goes, that's probably because you're doing what she wants you to do, which makes you think, oh, this is this is maybe playing into Patty's hands, which is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, if you do this, it's going to change you. Kevin asserts why. None of this is real. And he goes, mate, this is more real than it's ever been. And Kevin says, fuck your noose. How far is it to the well? And it's a mile walk. You can't drive there. Yeah, she's she's pulling the old tricks again, like... So if if her way of saying I don't want you to do this is by telling him I want you to do this, well, it didn't work last time. Yeah, I don't know why it would work this time or why she thinks it would work this time. But clearly, I, I think she's ready for this. Like she's she wants to be done with it. Now here's the thing that drives me crazy: David and Kevin, who we think is David, uh, is having has a whispered conversation from Patty's perspective. The yep. first time it leaves Kevin's point of view, and at the end of it, we get punched in the face with the uh, song of the the he, the chorus of the Hebrew exiles. Kabam! Mm-hmm. And she he says, "Was that about me?" Because it's nothing about you. It's possible that we'll never ever know what happened in that conversation. I think it's more likely that we will know. In the next two episodes. Is Kevin going to say, I met a man in a dream and he told me this? Like, how will we know? I don't know how we'll know, but I, why? Why? You know what I think he if said? If we're not going to find out about it, why put it in there? Do you know what I think he said? What? Everyone's infected. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, so he now, she's too tired to walk. He has to carry her mm-hmm. and she falls asleep on his shoulder and it's it's touching and horrific. And they walk into this beautiful shot of the well at dawn. 
and it's a work of yeah. fucking art, man. Yeah, it's the shot. amazing. And just the way she looks at him as she's sitting and she says, do you want to drop me in or do you want to push me? Uh, <laughs> and she's uh, and she's like, man, she's like, why, you know, why are you having a hard time with this? He goes, because I feel sorry for you. And she goes, what if I close my eyes? What if I say I deserve it? I talk too much. I don't listen. I'm stupid. I'm worthless. I'm a fat pig. I don't know how to be happy. And she won't stop. And he says, please stop. She still continues to give suggestions. And he finally, I think, just out of not being able to take the pain anymore, pushes her down the well. Mm-hmm. And the, they shoot it from like a middle distance. And it's, it's kind of shocking. Because at that point, I started to think that he wasn't going to be able to do it. Yeah. That he had made peace with Patty. And that Patty had won. And that Patty had, like, yeah. like you know, Well, I don't know if you could say that it's won. Whatever battle she's fighting. Um, But yeah. And he's like overcome he's gagging on his own bile an eagle screeches overhead as if we didn't need to be hit on the head about the, the connections monday, to yeah. the axis monday and then patty weekly from the bottom that yeah and completely uh, changes the episode says weekly help and kevin goes down there yeah no i was shocked and I here's thought, the okay, thing it's over i feel like he had to go down there mm-hmm. because if he didn't go down there and finish the job she would have still haunted him i think you're right yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot more to talk about. He slips and falls down there. She confesses that she was once on Jeopardy. Uh, and she she reasoned that if I was on Jeopardy and I won $50,000, I'd have enough money to leave Neil and start over. And she turns out that she met this Stewart guy who was the reigning champion. He'd been on there for a long time. She says, do you know what he told me in the green room? Like, this presumably to psych her out. She says, absolutely nothing. And she was impressed by how much power there was in that. That clear. I mean, is that the genesis of the guilty remnant? I suppose so. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, if we could conclusively prove that Patty was in fact on Jeopardy, that's pretty good proof that. And if I was Kevin, I'd be looking up Je- Jeopardy contestants on Wikipedia and seeing what I could find out, because that would prove that that was real, quote unquote real. Well, I mean, yeah, unless. So it's tough because they've got us mixed up in this Lori thing. I guess too. yeah, Lori that could come. I, I said this is such a random like it, encounter, but I guess that would that would be something to talk to your therapist about. Yeah, like I want to leave him. Here's how I can do it. I've got the money. I'm not going to do it. That's do you, something you do need to talk. Do about. Do you want to hear something spooky? Was that so? Apparently, uh, I got this on on Wikipedia or not Wikipedia. I got this on Reddit on the uh, last Wednesday, the 18th. There's a Je- final Jeopardy question where it is about something about where the first astronaut was launched from. What what country? What present day country? Okay. The correct answer is Kazakhstan, and the loser guessed the Ukraine. <laughs> All that's, right. That, that's the thing. Like anytime someone says that's too much of a coincidence, beat that motherfucker. Yeah, it that's happens. pretty fucking coincidental. Coincidence. I don't happen. think Alex Trebek is taking orders from Lindelof. No, first and, off, and they couldn't have written. They they wrote this before that happened. Had right? and filmed it long before. So that was that. And that is really really crazy coincidence. Yeah, gotta be. Um. So yeah. So she eventually lost, but she earned over sixty five thousand dollars on her four day reign of terror on Jeopardy. Which is more than she needed, but she couldn't start over because she's scared. Yeah. And Kevin hugs and kisses her on the forehead and then drowns her. She struggles weakly. She dies. There's an earthquake in a well. Um, Kevin starts climbing up through the well and he wakes up 
in a shallow grave that he wrestles free from. Michael there has been setting up shop with the chair and a sleeping bag and a cooler. He sees him and says, holy shit. And that's Which is the hilarious. episode. Yeah. So here's here's the reason that I mentioned this um, kind of connection between Patty and Kevin. And I'm going to go on a bit of a coffee theory here. Uh, she says she's scared. Uh, she has been taunting Kevin this whole time for being scared to, A, admit the things that she has admitted as a part of a guilty remnant, and B, kill himself. Uh, I I feel like there there's some connection other than just, like, an emotional connection here. I wonder if, like, Patty has been haunting Kevin to come help her. Like, if she's trying to get him to kill himself, to, to come help her rid herself of her own demons, too. It's the ring style. You're going to find out that now Kevin's just released Patty into the world. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But she, so she clearly said in this interview, like, that she had accomplished her mission in life at that point. Okay. Um, when When Kevin kills her. Like she had, she had made this connection with someone. She had admitted the darkest, deepest secrets, and now it was her time to leave. So I, I wonder if there isn't more of like a something spiritual, something literal connecting them. Uh, and in the moment when she kills herself, that's part of the plan somehow. But I don't know how she would know about this other plane of existence, sure. or how she would. I don't know. It's all up in the air because who knows with the supernatural stuff. But well, and that's the thing. Like you can. You, what I find people in some of the theories that I kind of rejected personally, what I find people doing is taking what they know about ghosts and supernatural uh, oh, in popular yeah. culture and kind of like uh, Jurassic Park frog DNA style, mm-hmm. plugging that into the missing pieces. And like, I don't think that's a valid way to approach this show. It's like, risky. I mean, sure. it's not wrong. Do it if it makes you happy, but it's not persuasive to me because the way that Parada and Lindelof are telling the story is so thoughtful that if they wanted you to be conjuring up ghosts and poltergeists and people with unfinished business, those would be the references we'd be getting, not Babylon and Jews returning to a homeland and being set free and things of that nature. Although I guess that's kind of a little, kind of the same point. Yeah. I mean, they, they get mixed in when you talk about the spirit world. Right. Uh, question. And then we can get right to feedback. When Michael says, holy shit, is that, <laughs> holy shit, there's a man popping out of the ground, I can't believe this? Or is this, holy shit, I can't believe this worked? I think it's, holy shit, it worked. I do, too. Virgil do too. told him, because they have a conversation before this. He's clearly disturbed by the scene in the trailer, but he takes action. Uh-huh. He's got to be the one who buried uh, Kevin. I can't imagine anyone else doing it. Maybe Kevin sleepwalked and and, and, and buried himself. <laughs> when he's foaming at the mouth, he's <laughs> digging his own grave. I don't think so. I think Michael buried him and he's, holy shit, it worked. Okay. So, you know, you're an international assassin. You got a jet-setting lifestyle. Yep. You're going all over the world. You're killing people. Sure, you don't have wife and kids. You know what else you don't have time for? What's that? Shopping on Black Friday or any time during Christmas. Oh, season. you're not you, standing in line. Unless on. you're willing to murder everyone at your mall, it's yeah. just it's just a it's just a losing proposition. Uh, if if you got a computer and, and you're you're hip to the internet, and since you're an early adopter of this new medium we call podcasting, I suspect that's true of you. You can get a lot of that done going to Amazon.baldmove.com. Now, that's like the cool backdoor in the Amazon that also when you arrive at your your gateway. Uh, you arrive at your destination, you'll still be at Amazon. You'll still get all the great shipping and prices and selection, but you'll also be giving us a little kickback when you check out. And it doesn't cost you anything. 
And also, uh, international peeps, you can play along too if you go to support.baldmove.com. We've got international markets for a lot of the, the main countries. Uh, oh, any th- oh, the countries that go there. Like, I'm, oh, I'm going to find my country. I'm a main country. They're going to be so disappointed. I don't even know what I mean by that. So disappointed. Every international market that Amazon will allow us to open. Bold move doesn't consider me a main country. <laughs> no, it's 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 Bezos. You can always be mad at, at you're Jeff right. Bezos. It's not us. You're right. If, if, you, if you're a major country and you don't have a market, you need to direct your ire to them because we'll get you added. We don't like to turn down free money here at Bald Move. That's one of our core principles. Never turn down free money. That's a good, good one. But yeah, go to Amazon.BaldMove.com. It's the easy way to get your, your, your holiday shopping done. Well, we have a lot of feedback, so let's, let's right. get right to it. If you'd like to send us more uh, leftovers at BaldMove.com, or you can get on our forum, which is uh, pretty rollicking threads, as you can imagine, at forums.BaldMove.com. First up, Ray W. We have a, a cup, a little bit of old information. This is this is old. Um, I'm not going to hear it. Don't want to hear it at all. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Unfortunately, some of, some of the stuff that people sent in after they missed the deadline in the podcast was disproved. This episode, a lot of people had theories about how uh, this would yeah. go down. But there's a couple that had some elements either that weren't disproved or some elements I found interesting. Ray was up first. He said, I may be remembering this incorrectly, but I thought Erica said the kids were born while John was in prison. If I'm remembering that correctly, then John couldn't have attempted to murder Virgil for something done to the twins. That is true, and that is also true. So we speculated that maybe it wasn't abuse to John, it's abuse to the kids. And that doesn't seem like And they were like born it... while he was in prison? Yes. They said that? Yeah. That okay. doesn't seem to be possible. Yeah. Uh, number two... Ray says, maybe it was Erica that Virgil abused. I got the sense from the interaction Erica and Virgil had in the previous episode that she and he were blood relatives. In fact, maybe Erica lost her hearing to do some, due to some sort of physical events from Virgil. Hmm. If Erica and John had grown up together, then any abuse of Erica a long time ago might have also hurt John as well. My outrageous, most outrageous take on this theory is that Virgil raped Erica and the Evie and Michael are actually his children and not his grandchildren. Whoa. Jesus. Yeah. And I don't know why I was so convinced after last episode that John was his son. Because I got the very strong sense that Erica was his son. And then the way he phrased things last episode made me think that, no, in fact, it was John that was his son. Because I think I I left immediately to the pedophile angle because that's what uh, that's where... um, uh, That's where Patty assigned to it. He's like, you're going to take the word of a pedophile over... Yeah, yeah. No, I was I was leaning towards like a, a Michael Evie sort of uh, relationship there, but I guess it might make sense with Erica because I also got the impression that it's Erica's father, not yeah John's. Uh, yeah, this pretty dark take. Uh, D. Floyd said right before Kevin knocks on Virgil's door, we can hear indistinct discussion or arguing come from inside. We find out that it's a, Michael. What do you think that was about? Do you think it was Virgil telling his grandson? Uh, that what was about to happen and what Michael's job would be after Virgil was dead and Michael trying to talk him out of it? If so, how would they know that Kevin was going to come back? Or do you think it's some completely unrelated new mystery that we haven't dropped on us yet or is it a combination of both? I feel like we covered that fairly well. Yeah, it was It was Virgil telling Michael, look, I got a stack of pies I need you to deliver. <laughs> I'm going to be around to deliver pies yeah. no more. You're going to have to be the pie delivery man. It's a very prestigious uh-huh. resp- responsibility in Jardin. Uh, Adam J says, Kevin didn't remember to visit to Virgil's trailer. Maybe Kevin witnessed either Virgil or Michael play a role in the girl's disappearance. This leads me to question if the cinder block was a suicide attempt or the first attempt on Kevin's life. 
They're there to eliminate a possible witness to the crime. Um, he has an addendum, a follow-up theory. Perhaps Michael is a literal wolf in sheep's clothing. Michael, not Virgil, does the horrible thing the Murphys mention, but Virgil takes the fall for his grandson. That wouldn't be possible if we're correct about the timeline of the, 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 the kids being born. Yeah. So. I, I have a huge question about this car now. What like is Evie it? Evie and her friends. Yeah. Like, I, if I'm going toward the, the idea of this Axis Mundi that's connecting them. Uh, and you are. And I am. I'm, I've got to think, like, something caused them. Like, what caused them to disappear? Well, in the case of Kevin, he his body didn't disappear, right? He, he drank this poison. His body didn't just go away. Yeah. Neither did Virgil's. Like, that's not what happens. So... Is there still, like, the second departure that's happened? No. I mean, that's on the table. Is why, it, I, why are you bringing it up, I guess? Well, I, I kept expecting to see Evie somewhere in this Oh, yeah, we dream didn't talk world. about that. Yeah, I thought that it was very interesting and telling that none of the three girls appeared in the dream world. Yeah, and I was expecting it because, like, that that's just, I don't know, for some reason. So, like... No one. Well, well let me ask you this, though. A second departure No is still one that there. was departed was in, that we know of was in the dream world. Everyone that we saw right. and recognized right. were people that survived the departure. So if they're not there, it could be that they are a genuine departure or it could be that they're not dead or it could be, I mean, and it could be, you it, know, it this is a phase of judgment for the population of earth, right? Yeah. Like, you know, these people have been judged worthy and good and called to heaven. Although we've talked about how yeah, yeah. not everyone who was taken sure. was good. Uh, but you know, I don't we know. also talked, it's, I it's think, last season question. about God and like the God of Cthulhu sins, where mi- yeah, he could operate on a plane of existence where his morality and ethics are beyond our comprehension. Sure, um, or any other thing you could think of, aliens, whatever. I, I, it's just such a coincidence that this thing with Evie happens at the Axis Mundi location. Oh, sure, and that Kevin is transported to this other place and comes out of the ground, and these birds do, and like. Really, those aren't related? Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael A.O. says, I wonder if Nora did not, in fact, cut and run. Certainly she might be afraid of Kevin or be afraid that he will. she will lens him and Jill. But I also wonder about the significance of her knowing Tommy is headed back to Jarden. Does she think he's coming to take Lily back? Does she fear Tommy for some reason? He is Holy Wayne's successor, and she has something inside her Tommy might exercise. Do you think she's concerned with Tommy coming back? And her proximity to Kevin in that relation, is that is that something? That, I mean, that, this was a new thought to me. I think it's interesting. But I don't know. Do we know that Tommy's actually headed to Jarden? No, we don't. But okay. if that's, she might I'm, assume that, and I think that's fair. Which, yeah, and that might be why she didn't tell Kevin. And maybe the bugging out, this was just a, his going crazy was just the straw, the, the cherry on top of the decision she already made. Hmm. Now, there's very little yeah. contextual evidence for this, but I think it's an interesting theory. Yeah. Uh, Tom A. says, so is Kevin Sr. the most powerful of everyone on the show? In all caps, he tapped into hell slash limbo and talked to Kevin. <laughs> That's a pretty powerful spiritual transmitter you got there, Kevin Sr., if if true. Yeah. He has a prediction uh, for the final two episodes. Tommy links up with Kevin Sr. in Australia, and they become servants of the new Lord and Savior, David Burton, a.k.a. the guy who walked out of a cave and is thought to be dead. Also, could Kevin perhaps become one of these prophet figures now? Because he legit has come back from the dead. Could he actually be Jesus Christ's return? Could he be a new Messiah? Is Kevin <laughs> going to save the world? Am I going crazy? Yes, probably. All good questions. 
All very good questions, none of which I have answers to, but which I have opinions on that I think I've stated. Well, let me ask your opinion. Season three, Kevin as a religious figure. You in or you out? That's. Seems... I don't think that's what this was about. I don't either. Him. But that idea seems very stupid. I would. Dis- I would be not excited <laughs> to all the people who were thinking that sounded cool. No, no, no. It's like I. I would not be excited if I heard that. Now I would still watch the se- series and maybe it'd be amazing. But I'm thinking following him around in robes or or whatnot. I mean, I don't know. I'm really worried for Nora and Jill and and Lily because yeah. I don't think Kevin's going to come back as a better classically thought of better man huh you think he is you think that's what the show's about i think i think this is the show is clearly about struggling with grief and what more of a definitive struggle could you have than literally drowning your grief in the bottom of a well although and killing it having said that we left kevin and jill at a pretty happy place last year and then immediately pulled the rug out from them this this year so do it again they could. I mean, it would only get old when it gets old. Yeah, I just don't. I don't think his his journey here was a religious one in nature. Honestly, I think it was a. Uh, he was battling his own inner demons, just in, in the way he thought about things. Okay. Not not whether he believes that there's some heaven or hell or God or what this is. Chris S., since Jarden has a history of these types of tremors, talking about Kevin's return from the dead, can we say that each time that this has happened, someone has come back from this purgatory? They did such a great job of walking the fine line between reality and perception. What a great show. So is that a thing every time? Because I believe that David from Australia, from Perth, Australia, David Burton, they mentioned that that was in connection with an earthquake, too, in a cave. They did. So, yeah. So I think it's a really interesting idea. Now Kevin the, came back from the dead on the first earthquake. David Burton came back to the dead on an earthquake. He came back from the dead a second time in the middle of an earthquake. So Kevin's done it twice now. Is that what we're saying? He succeeded in we killing himself the, the first time. Of the first one, but you're right. We don't. Uh, but Kevin seems to have no recollection of of him sure. dying and going to some plane to battle anybody. So I, I wonder if he will have a recollection of this experience. And if not, then I could say maybe he was dead twice. Okay. Maybe he failed his mission the first time, was kicked back out. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's my theory with the Mapleton guy being let out of the hood. Yeah. You're on the senior bandwagon. Uh, KP Dawes says, well, I really like this episode. I do have one question. What is Lindelof's obsession with Wells? Wells, dying mothers, a tortured main character coming to grips with his feelings in the afterlife. Was it me, or was this the most lostish episode of The Leftovers yet? Oh, yeah. I recused myself, because I, I noped out of Lost before it got crazy in season two. So. I felt this episode was like watching an entire season of Lost. You know, our friend like Levi. mainlining it. Did you see what he said on Facebook? Uh-uh. He said, if you thought Lost was a pretty good show with a flawed execution, you should check out The Leftovers. Okay. Which I initially parsed as a slam on the leftovers, but it turns out he's actually saying, if, no, like, this is essentially lost done correctly. Yeah, yeah. Which I feel like that is a idea that has legs. The Lindelof learned a lot, and maybe he never really was on board with the, uh, you know, fooling the fans mm-hmm. concept. I don't, I don't know. No, I, I think... Whether he was on board with it or not the first time, I think he taught him a lesson. Do you think that no matter what happens, that this has changed Lindelof's legacy? 
Like he, if he never uh, no, turned no, to TV, it would be kind of like the quarterback who owns all the records and never went to never won a Super Bowl. Dan Marino. Uh-huh. Uh, this, I feel like, I mean, it could, I guess, completely fail in in its ensuing seasons. Yes, but, that's why I'm not prepared to say like stamp it. But if like, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like that these seasons could continue to end in kind of the partially fulfilled ambiguous notes that they are and they could do another season or two of this and then that's it and that it would do a lot to rehabilitate his creative image oh sure so yeah i I think he already has done it and if they don't have a season three this is one of the best shows i've ever seen i will say that i'm in on anything lindelof does from here on out you know what i mean like, sure, like, like an be, Abrams was back in the back when he first started. It might be a train wreck, but this show and like yeah. you know, like a Joss Whedon sort of deal. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of in on him. Yeah. Uh, Barry C says one of the things I love about the show is how they have so far perfectly walked the tightrope where it's fifty fifty whether you believe in reason or the supernatural. Uh, somehow, amazingly, I think they've managed to maintain that equilibrium. Yes, it was insane, and yes, Kevin seems to have dug himself out of his grave in real life. <laughs> but everyone in Purgatory was someone he encountered before, i.e. a memory. And the main story about Patty's husband we have established is something Kevin probably knew about already. If we discover in the real world that Patty really was on Jeopardy, would that be proof that Kevin was also in peg- Purgatory? And where do you stand right now in the hallucination versus ghost faith versus reason debate? Well, I feel uh, like we covered that, yeah. and we also covered a Jeopardy thing. Are we going to discover in a real world that Patty was really on Jeopardy? And again, what does that tell It doesn't prove anything. It doesn't even tell you yeah. anything. Nothing. It tells you nothing. You get no answers. <laughs> Not today. Good day, sir. Danny H. from the UK. Patty gave an explanation. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before we move on, you don't have a good explanation for the bird. Yeah, I do. Virgil has a cage full of him on the outside of his trailer. Kevin's been there multiple yeah, times. Yeah, well, for squashing, squashing the bird. Like the bird squash, you don't have a great... Fucked up things happen in dreams, man. <laughs> okay. What, you have... So you think this is literally Schrodinger's cat bird and Virgil stands eternally to to crush or or, or release birds as he sees fit to grant them prayers? Like, yeah. That'd make him a, a St. Peter role. It wouldn't make him the Virgil role. There's something about the exact same scenario for this bird and Whose for bird Kevin. is this? This is Erica's bird. What is Erica praying for? She's praying for the return of Evie, just like she's done day in and day out. We've seen that over and over and over again. You think she's still doing this post-Nora? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I mean, I guess if it worked the first time. It has worked for the first time. That was her whole point. Like, uh, I I don't know. I I can't explain why they would say this bird has got squashed if if it was all in Kevin's head. That tells me as a viewer. Danny H. from the UK. Patty gave an explanation for why people assassinate, because they share a similar belief. I think the reason Patty and Kevin clash so much in life is because they both had similar similar ideologies pre- and post-departure, but the difference being Kevin was never willing to show his. Mm-hmm. Pre-departure, they both felt trapped in lives they couldn't face to leave and felt like nothing was actually there. Kevin had been handed his, jobs, uh, his dad's job and Lori's money and a child, and Patty was stuck with Neil. Then both... Post-departure, they both understood that the world had ended and life was ultimately pointless now. Kevin knew this all season, but one, uh, all season one, rather, but fought against himself and took it out on Patty. This is shown in him having an answer for why the guilty remnant smoke, even though Laurie previously couldn't answer the same question. Yep. He had an answer because he'd always understood the guilty remnant and that scared him, so he fought against them so much. So far, so good. 
Patty knew he understood her and felt the same as she expressed in the cabin before she killed herself, and I think that is why he could never make peace with her death. He hasn't been battling with Patty all this season, but his own inner demons and thoughts in a post-departure world. If Lori told her everything about Jeopardy, uh, then I think Kevin always understood Patty's motivations and how he related to her, hence why he saw her as an innocent little girl. He knew she was just as broken, the same as him. I also loved how season one, episode eight ended with Patty having to kill herself because Kevin wouldn't admit they understood her beliefs. And now season two, episode eight ends with Patty killing or Kevin killing Patty because he now understands her and himself completely. Yeah. We talked about that, but that's, that's a great point. I thought that's a really good email. Cause I never thought it draws that, a straight line where the, the real line is very curvy. I think the best thing is like, there was a lot more similarities being Kevin and Patty than I initially uh, thought of. And I forgot about yeah. the angle of Kevin kind of, being born on third pace and looking back and like, Oh man, did I do anything? Yeah. Like this, all this stuff has been handed to me turnkey. Um, Ellen says something that irritated me about this episode was that rather than hiring one of the many, 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 many talented Australian, Australian actors living in the States <laughs> to play the man on the bridge, they decided instead to get an American actor to do bad accent. He it, was trying to do an accent, right? Yes. It was tough to tell. No, he was, yeah, he was doing an Australian accent. You would think that with all the importance they put on Australia this season, they'd take the minimal effort to get an actual Australian. This didn't bother me a huge deal. It's more of a pet peeve of mine. Being Australian, I probably noticed it more than most Americans watching, but I'm still going to complain about it because that's why the internet is invented. Now, I was actually um, I, I was actually starting to formulate a response in my head to her email when she continues... That being said, this act definitely tried for a more cultivated, modern Australian accent, which is far and away better than that awful Crocodile Dundee impression that most <laughs> Americans bring out when they play an Aussie. I'm looking at you, Robert Downey Jr. Is this some sort of payback <laughs> for Hugh Jackman and Hemsworth coming to your country and taking all the good movies away from hardworking American actors? Yes, it is. It is, yeah. Get the fuck out of here, Jackman and Hemsworth. <laughs> We've been saying that a lot, like... A lot of English actors are taking American roles nowadays. Like, oh, they're yeah. lousy in The Walking Dead. Putting Lenny on James, terrible Southern accents. Andrew yeah. Lincoln are coming and butchering Southern accents. Like, it's all... it's This is globalization, <laughs> people. Uh-huh. This is what the... This is this is free trade. This is, is this results. what you want? <laughs> this is the global hom- homogenous bullshit culture we're heading towards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, she also... I don't know if we want to indulge in this. It's been a long podcast. Indulge? P.S. Despite everything I just said, if one or both of you wanted to attempt an Australian accent, I think myself and many others would find that extremely entertaining. Oh, my God. You know, this used to be a staple of Blue Yonder, the podcast we did before we became popular. And part of me wants to say we weren't popular when we were doing fake accents on a (laughs) a weekly basis. Uh And and we got some uncomfortable territory there, too. Because this was was also a listener. He had us do this. and, And it was kind of like, you know... We were being forced to. We were being compelled. Mm-hmm. Should we drink the water and forget, or should we try to just destroy an accident? Part of you wants to say we shouldn't do it, and the other part of you wants to say good day, mate. <laughs> Is that right? Well, that's how it starts, right? Good day, mate. Good day, uh-huh. good day, mate. That's how. That's that's essentially <laughs> park the car in the yard for the Boston accent. Here's yeah. my problem with the Australian accent: is inevitably I can keep it together for like 10, 15 seconds, and then it either slices into a, uh, a a Boston accent mm-hmm. or it hooks into a Southern accent. Oh, a South, like an American Southern accent? Yes, it, inevitably. Christ, because mine either goes... two directions. Mine slices into like a bad Cockney British 
sort of thing or in like hooks into New Zealand. What like is mine New goes Zealand? the other way. It's a little like, whinier. Like, like, like a twee version of an Australian accent? Yeah, well... Like, it, what, like a, what an elf, and an, an, like an elf from Australia would speak New Zealand? Have you seen Flight of the Concords? They're, Ze- they're from New Zealand. Ah. Uh, New Zealanders. Okay. So you, are, yeah. you gonna, are you going to take this challenge or not? Nah. I'm not going to do it if you're not going to. We, you got to get good eye, mate. Sure. Well, sh- That's shrimp, enough. That's, shrimp on the bobby. That tells you all you need I to know about these. I went out to the reef and I wrestled a, she- a shield of shock to get this. Yeah, see, it's already. Oh, Christ. It's already gone into Boston. It has. All right. Well, there you go. I hope that made you happy, Ellen. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging my head in shame. We have an Oscar spoiler section. Okay. It's not much a one. It's just based. A, it's a, it's a really intriguing theory that pulls a lot of interesting things together, but it uses some information from the this season on and next week on. So if you're really yeah. curious about that, you might want to skip it. Uh, if you want to get some next week hype on, then join us past the music into the spoiler section. Right. If you want to give us more feedback, you can do so at leftovers at baldmove.com or, of course, forums.baldmove.com. Go to baldmove.com for all of your baldmove.com needs. <laughs> yeah, do that. If you want to contact us, it's always in the show notes. It's good stuff. Uh, I, for one, am completely looking forward to next week. Oh, yeah. See the resolution of this. I don't know if we're going to see the resolution of this, but if we do, I'll be excited. All right. Uh, so we'll see you guys next Tuesday. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you. And we're back with the spoiler section. I guess I get to do that for once on the left. Yeah. So this is a theory that I got off Reddit, and it was the guilty remnant will create a flood to wipe out the Babylonish shanty town outside of Jarden. Okay. Support that claim. So in the previews for the eleven twenty two two thousand fifteen episode, which I actually watched mm-hmm. to make sure this wasn't complete bullshit, it's very clear that the guilty remnant is going to be making a big appearance. There's okay. a lot of arguing amongst the folk, amongst the guilty remnants. There's a lot of Megan there talking about how she will or won't make big sweeping changes. There's an intriguing shot of Meg dressed in civilian clothes, not guilty remnant clothes, kind of wandering through the carnival-type festival. Yeah. Um, and also there's other shots of guilty remnant people. And I know they're guilty remnant cause I saw them wearing white earlier in the preview. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they're also dressed in civilian clothes, but they're communicating through written messages. So the theory is that, um, that there's also a lot of activity and I'm kind of cribbing this right from the Reddit post with a shot of Erica and Matt looking at something in that vicinity and general shock or horror. There's only one entrance existing for the town of Miracle, and it's over a bridge. Uh, and I guess the shanty town is literally named Babylon. I don't know that I got that. It's 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 certainly outside the town huh. with the Babylon Hotel. It's it's thematically pure anyway. Okay. Um, I think that the, the, the theory is that they the guilty remnant sees these people of Miracle as obvious targets for their stop wasting your breath truth, and. Uh, they would also see the shantytown as an easy way to strike against them. But how would you do it? A mm-hmm. uh, recurring theme in this show has been water. The largest source of water that we know of is the reservoir that all this uh, water all drained away in the earthquake. However, it's been several weeks since the event. We know that there's been a major rainstorm that washed Matt and Mary away. It could be very well that the reservoir is full again. 
If the guilty remnant was able to somehow destroy the presumed dam that encircles or contains the reservoir, they could take out the bridge separating Miracle from Babylon and or the shantytown as well. How was the city of Babylon destroyed? It was destroyed by damming up the build a reservoir and dam up the Euphrates River so that the, uh, the, the ground forces of Cyrus the Great could march across the dry riverbed and into the city uh, without going through any of its formidable defenses. Mm-hmm. What do you think? So it's going to be an inverse Babylon? It's going to be reverse Babylon. Destroying a, uh, a, a, a levee or a reservoir rather than creating one. And cutting off the entrance to it instead of... Yes. Huh. Uh, okay. I don't really know what to make of that. What are the clues again? In that thing, it's just that it's going to feature the GR, and and they're the, the they got boots on the ground. It's it's there's definitely an establishing shot of Meg wearing civilian clothes, walking through the. I mean, that's at least the way they staged it, and walking through the the carnival village that Matt is. Now, there's other okay. something, I mean, and seems... also the fact that Matt and Erica are looking at horror um, at something in the general vicinity of the bridge, like maybe it's an oncoming wave of water. Okay. Also, that Meg is planning something big. It's a game changer. Yeah. Uh, that involves her being way far away from Mapleton. It's just in Texas. It's just putting more more fake bodies around. It's the same thing again. <laughs> it's building a reservoir out of fake bodies, so they can building another bridge out of the fake bodies, so they can just walk across into Miracle. Yeah, I mean there there are, so there are clues, but not clues as to what it could be. And I think that's the leap, right? There are clues that something big is going to happen. Well, but... I mean, I, I did the, the reason because I was getting through this. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But then when they made the connection to Babylon, that this is an inverse Babylon. Yeah, yeah. That got me very excited because we talked about how many obvious parallels there are to the foretold destruction of Babylon, and you know, if that, if, if 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 this thing gets swept away by water, that's as destroyed as a dry wet riverbed and an invading force hitting it too. I don't, yeah, I don't know. True. There's something about that symmetry I really, really like. Okay. But it also, I mean, like I said, I, I, it's a neat idea that I wanted to get out into the community that wants to kind of get into mild spoiler territory. But I didn't want to just say it because, you know, I know a lot of people, are, especially on this show, I know I am. Yeah. Like, I tried to avoid watching the next ons from the, at, at this point. Yeah. I mean, we'll know in five days. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anything else you want to talk about? Nope, that's it. That's it. As always, leftovers at baldmove.com and forums.baldmove.com. We will see you next week. See you.